So for my master's thesis, I'm considering the ways in which three Indian women writers problematise representation of development subjects. Using the notion of fiction of development, presented by Lewis, Rogers and Walcock in 2008, I'm addressing works by Suniti Namjoshi, Baby Halder and Anita Nair as development narratives, focusing on education, bodily integrity and sexuality as related to women's empowerment. Through greatly different means, Namjoshi in postmodern literature, Nair in realist novels and Halder in Dalit life writing, each writer poses questions integral to empowerment a buzzword in development studies and initiatives since the 1980s. By representing individual voices, they explore different pathways to empowerment and various limitations they face. Lewis, Rogers and Walcock emphasise the value of popular literature, asserting the importance for development studies due to its nuanced exploration of development issues and the necessity to consider qualitative as well as quantitative data. My thesis sits amongst this body of work, arguing for a greater consideration of stories, fictional and otherwise. I consider these works vehicles for human rights and development discourse, part of a transformative process. Writing not only allows for individual exploration, but also provides a platform to disseminate information, share experiences and raise public concern. Popular culture reflects politics, human rights and development, and the writings by Nair, Namjoshi and Halder confirm this. I'm asking what these authors present as barriers to empowerment and what they consider to be the keys of achieving said empowerment. In particular, the belief in education as the ultimate strategy for women's and girls' empowerment can be problematised through these narratives. I'm questioning the myth that education inevitably leads to the empowerment of women by highlighting intersecting issues of economic dependence, poverty and bodily integrity, bodily integrity as articulated by the authors. Theorised by Lewis, Rogers and Walcock in 2008, fiction of development is one of the ways to address the representation of subjects in development studies and the problem of inaccessible and often self-justifying academic literature. Taking up the challenge they present to include fictional representations, I'm exploring the ways that different development priorities are personalised and how these authors represent themselves as subjects. These fictions of development deconstruct the monolithic categories targeted by development campaigns including women, widows, child brides, and so on. By presenting an individual narrative, Namjoshi, Halder, and Nair's development stories present a nuanced views of the challenges women face from the 1970s contemporary India. Recognising the importance of these stories is integral to dismantling the distribution of power away from the producers and so-called experts of development towards the often voiceless subjects, recipients, beneficiaries, and agents. Lewis, Rogers and Walcott proclaim a crisis of representation in development research. Similarly, Edward Carr argues for a greater consideration of development stories, testimonies and memoirs that are, quote, relegated to the margins of the field. Together, they argue that more than contributing colour to the field, narratives, fictional and otherwise, are reflections of the development process itself, providing a space for self-representation and agency. As the Millennium Development Goals come to an end, questions continue regarding to their success and their replacements. The broad goals to be achieved by 2015, including the eradication of extreme poverty, universal primary education, and the empowerment of women, were set in 2000 around the time of these works' publication. Formed around broadly accepted human rights, these goals encompass the contemporary development priorities and frame the subsequent initiatives we see today. 
Today, I will be focusing on Baby Holder's life story, A Life Less Ordinary, published in Hindi in 2002 and into, translated into English in 2006. A Life Less Ordinary is a story of Baby Holder, a Dalit woman born into poverty, married at age 12, a mother at age 14, a victim to domestic abuse, and a woman who battled through inequalities of labour from the 1970s. In her frank testimony that alternates between first and third person at times of trauma, Holder retrospectively constructs her escape to Delhi, where she eventually found work with a professor who encouraged her to write down her life story. Holder describes her work as, quote, essentially about marginalised people, speaking to the, quote, many other women in India who have left home like me. In her testimony of a world in which domestic abuse is acceptable, hunger is unremarkable, women are bound by the rules of family honour, survival is uncertain, and education is an extravagance, the failures of the state and their development programmes are exposed. Particularly important for Holder's childhood and young adulthood is the 1974 Towards Equality report that shifted the emphasis away from middle-class women to the lower-class women. This also included the look for quantifiable gains, partially resulting in a focus on primary school attendance. As has been seen in the past 30 years, however, the shift has not resulted in the transformation hoped. It becomes clear when reading her account that education is central to her conception of empowerment. Literacy is ultimately the skill that empowers, emancipates and frees Holder. In many of her interviews, the, inter the importance of education is repeatedly emphasised. She says, for example, I hate to see little children working when they should be studying. They have to be granted freedom. Education is equated with freedom here and often in the memoir, a freedom that she finally secures for her children through her employer, who I think it's important to know is an upper-class man. Education, however, is shown to only be empowering if the individual also possesses economic possibilities, bodily integrity, safety from violence, and simply the opportunity to use it. Holder, while, basic, while obtaining basic literacy at primary school, was stopped attending by her father. She, in fact, confesses to her employer that what she knows is like, quote, knowing nothing. Subsequently, her son has stopped attending school by her husband. Poverty and abuse are presented as cyclical barriers to education and subsequent empowerment. She's an example of the many who gain literacy but lose it from a lack of practice, as highlighted by scholars such as Surabji, who contest the figure given in 2001 of a 36% national literacy rate for women. The differences between literacy and education is also explored by scholars such as Papu, who interrogates the myth that education is a good in itself and that it inevitably leads to the empowerment of women. While Halder's memoir confirms the intrinsic value of education, she's only able to use her literacy for empowerment when she's free from domestic violence, when she has a stable income, and when she's alleviated from poverty. The impact of Holder's memoir is perhaps more important than the narrative itself. Its success, both in India and abroad, has been celebrated, particularly for its potential to stir debate about the social responsibilities of India's wealthy. Sociologist Gupta, for example, argues that do-gooders, like Holder's employer, are a sign of the, quote, failure of the Indian government to provide the barest essential services to the citizens. Far from being a potentially voyeuristic memoir of poverty, Holder's work has proven to have far-reaching potential, particularly for the women she perceives like her. Especially interesting for the discussion between popular literature, women's empowerment and development is Holder's assertions that she wants to use her platform to improve the lives of other women, having spoken to labour unions and domestic workers. 
Unlike Halder, both Nair and Namjoshi write and publish in English. Language is intimately linked with class and has a significant impact on readership. First published in Hindi, A Life Less Ordinary has also been published in Bengali, Halder's mother tongue, and other Indian languages as well as English. In conjunction with this, Halder herself is particularly aware of the potential of her work, expressing concern that literature is not always accessible to the lower classes. She suggests lowering prices as an instrumental way to disseminate literature. The cost of literature and the impact this has on readership and transformative potential was highlighted in the 1974 Towards Equality report. The report argued that most popular fiction lacked a focus on social reform and was overly influenced by the so-called Western trend towards sex and violence. In conclusion, they suggested that romance and pornographic literature was perhaps more popular because it was cheaper in price and readily available. Thirty years later, Halder identifies a similar problem with readership and the price of literature. Disseminating the story is a clear priority for Halder and her publishers who, for the English translation it's interesting to note, are self-described feminists. In addition to the 23 translations worldwide, the serial publication of her memoir was printed in a Bengali literary magazine and there is talk of a cinematic adaptation. The potential of popular literature identified by scholars has not gone unnoticed by the popular press. Her story, for example, is described by the Hindu and English-language Indian newspaper as a, quote, reservoir of learning. This is not a book that could be read and tossed aside. It raises questions about the fate of millions of domestic workers in our country and their ill-treatment. Truly, this is a story of courage under fire. Holder's story is one of testimonial justice, testifying to the barriers women like her face despite years of targeted programmes at her demographic, particularly as a rural woman of a scheduled caste. Her testimonial is both universal and individual. By arguing that her narrative is normal for women like her, she's been able to stir debate around priority development issues and, importantly, provide validation for other women subjugated to multiple marginalities. Testament to this is Holder's experience following publication. She was quoted in the New York Times saying, One woman told me that this was precisely her story too, which made me very happy. There are so many other women in India who have left home like me. There is no support for them, life's not easy, and they're not able to speak out. If I can give them some confidence, then I'll be satisfied. The first book Halder read from her employer's shelf was Taslima Nazrin's My Girlhood. Nazrin's work on her life as a woman in Bangladesh was a catalyst to Halder's own development narrative, an act of testimonial intergenerational justice. In turn, Halder hopes her own narrative can do the same for other women, validating experiences, amplifying marginalised voices, and challenging the hierarchies of representation. <laughs>